You are listening to Beltway Beef, official commentary from the National Cattlemen's Beef Association. My name is Ed Frank. I am NCBA's Senior Director of Policy Communications. And joining us this week is Ethan Lane. Ethan is the Executive Director of NCBA's Federal Lands and the Public Lands Council. Ethan, thanks for joining us again. Great to be here, Ed. All right, now, Ethan, the House and Senate are in recess. That doesn't mean that nothing is going on in Washington, of course. Um, we're coming to folks today from Shelley's Back Room, which is a couple of blocks from our office in D.C. Explain to folks why we are at Shelley's Back Room and why we're doing this particular podcast here. Well, you know, I mean, first and foremost, we are at Shelley's because they have one of the best cheeseburgers in Washington, D.C. But more specifically today, Shelley's is one of those D.C. institutions that goes back a long time. You sit in Shelley's long enough, you will see most of the uh, political operatives and movers and shakers we all know and following the news coming through these doors. And it has an outdoor theme to it. The, the walls are paneled like a, like a log cabin you might see somewhere out west in the mountains. Um, it, it smells like cigars because it is a cigar bar as well as a, as a good restaurant. And, you know, it has that sort of hunting lodge feel that really identifies for a lot of Americans with the recreation economy that we've been hearing so much about lately, both in the national news and out west. And, of course, one of the big issues that's always facing the public lands world is sort of that inherent tension um, that comes with the mixed-use concept of public lands. And I know that PLC and NCBA are strong proponents of the mixed-use and allowing everybody have access to public lands, ranchers, hikers, campers, um, you know, four-wheel four -wheel drivers, the whole thing. Recreation is a big part, but um, conflicts obviously arise sometimes, and one of those is when um, public lands are only accessible by going through private property. Can you talk a little bit about that issue and that conflict um, and what some conservation and environmental groups think is the solution to that inherent uh, conflict? Yeah, absolutely. You know, I mean, it, it, this is an issue that is continuing to gain uh, momentum. We're seeing that because the recreation community has really started to put a lot of money and resources into advocating for their own place on, on public lands around the West. And, you know, that's a healthy thing. We, as you said, are, are big supporters of multiple use. Um, we don't necessarily uh, agree with what we've seen come out recently. Um, Congress through the recreation community a pretty major bone last year by funding a, a fairly um, high-level study conducted by the Department of Commerce on the impact of recreation to the economy. Um, now, it's interesting that we're sitting in Shelley's back room in Washington, D.C., and, you know, I mean, this study was so broad in talking about what's included in the recreation economy that one might be concerned that us sitting here today in this hunting lodge-themed establishment in Washington, D.C. is most likely included in that that economic impact of recreation right along with every jacket sold in the country no matter whether it's walking outside the window right here or on the side of a mountain plane tickets gas at a gas station convenience stores you name it i mean it's a pretty broad net including by the way all the beef that we sell in the form of cheeseburgers and steaks and things like that so you know what we're seeing is that recreation community now absolutely bludgeoning members of congress and others with the results of that study and they're doing it in an effort to elevate their multiple use over everybody else's multiple use. And that takes many forms. Like you mentioned earlier, we're seeing that in the form of a real push from groups like the Teddy Roosevelt Conservation Partnership and the Center for Western Priorities, which uh, most of our listeners will, will know are you know, kind of in that category of green decoy, uh, you know, astroturf groups that are not really what they claim to be. They're, they're highly 
uh, coordinated, well-funded political operations that would like to appear to people to be something other than what they are, which is essentially um, aggressive environmental organizations. And, and the message they're putting forward is that the big problem in the West um, isn't too many people using public lands and not enough management. The big problem in the West is 9 million acres that's inaccessible because it's landlocked um, due to checkerboard land patterns or whatever else. And the reality is that's about 1.5% of the federal estate. We are talking about a blip on the, on the public lands radar that they've used as a, as a rallying cry because unfortunately a lot of the recreation community's attacks as they're ramping up are directed at our part of the world. They've talked Chairman Bishop and the Natural Resources Committee into um, several different varieties of kind of, um, I, I don't want to be insulting, but it's sort of harebrained schemes to elevate one multiple use over another or create zones. That's not popular in Utah. It's not popular anywhere else in the West. The, the whole point of multiple use is that these uses can coexist on the landscape. So we're going to continue to make that point and make sure that the recreation community knows, the honest brokers in that community, that we're, we're here to support their use just as much as anybody else's. We, we, are, we are true supporters of multiple use, and that means everybody gets a fair shake. And quite frankly, our members are the ones left cleaning up after those, those other multiple uses when they leave town. We're happy they're there. We're happy they get to use these lands right along with us. But people need to remember that it's our ranchers that are there stewarding those resources day in and day out, 365 days a year. Right, and then just to bring it, just to be, be a little bit more specific and bring it back to D.C., um, one of the, the outstanding issues left on Capitol Hill when Congress comes back for a likely lame duck session after the election, there's a program called the Land and Water Conservation Fund. Um, it's up for reauthorization this year. It's kind of, it's one of the unfinished pieces of business up on Capitol Hill. What is the latest on that? How does the LWCF affect this issue? And um, how might whatever happens on Capitol Hill after the election affect private property owners out west? So the Land and Water Conservation Fund is one of those issues that really gets people uh, tuned up. Uh, it is a program that, that essentially uh, started in the 1960s. It takes offshore oil and gas revenues, uh, oil and gas companies paying those revenue, those, those permit fees into the U.S. government, and it sets them aside for use in, in conservation, right? It's a great idea. You know, let's take that impact and let's, let's, let's balance the scales with some conservation. Unfortunately, over the decades, it has really gotten lopsided, and a lot of those funds are now going to federal acquisition. So those landlocked lands that I talked about earlier, uh, proponents of LWCF want to see a big portion of that money going to identify quote unquote willing sellers and the landowner community to sell their ranches um, in order to provide more access to the land behind their, their gates. And as we talk about a lot, and I'm, I'm pretty uh, uh, you know, comfortable saying is, I mean, the willing seller is a very loaded term in our end of the world. So when you're looking at, at, at a real push to permanently authorize the Land and Water Conservation Fund, and not only that, but in some circles, make that funding mandatory. So we're in the you know, defense spending realm now. Let's make this mandatory that this money be appropriated and then set a requirement that no less than 40% of it be spent on federal acquisition. You're really, you're really building a weapon pointed at landowners in the West, pointed at ranchers in the West, and that's not the intent of this program. We think there's a way to move this program to a place where it accomplishes what the, the, the Congress intended when they originally crafted it without disenfranchising such a large portion of Western landowners. 
Um, you know, uh, up to this point, I, unfortunately, there have been a lot of our own friends in Congress, um, you know, folks like Senator Daines from Montana and others that have been um, unapologetic supporters of the Land and Water Conservation Fund, and we certainly respect his opinion and others on that. We take a different one. We feel like there are some critical reforms that need to be made in order to get that program to a place where it works correctly. The, the Congressional Western Caucus um, has, has recently made a, a, a firm stand on that as well, uh, at least on the House side. Um, making it clear that, the, uh, that they, that they want to see some changes to that program as well. Uh, Chairman Bishop, for his part of it, just crafted a deal with, with uh, uh, Ranking Member Raul Grijalva to try to put some reforms in place. Now, we don't necessarily feel that the deal that they put forward goes far enough to make that program work the way that uh, we think that it should. But quite frankly, the, the chairman has a real challenge on his hands because he has a lot of Republicans in his own ranks, um, Eastern Republicans like Senator Burr and others, that have really uh, uh, you know, really bought into this, this LWCF deal um, uh, hook, line, and sinker. Uh, not to use a recreation term, but, um, you know, and so we have a real job ahead of us to help them understand that this is not all sunshine and roses. This is a program that is in dire need of reform because before it's reauthorized, never mind permanently reauthorized. So uh, we're going to spend a lot of time in the lame duck session talking about this. We're going to try to educate lawmakers about the need for reform here. And coming into the next year, I think we're going to hear more and more about this recreation end of public lands use because uh, it's really getting to a point where it's unavoidable. Right. So what can folks do? There's obviously an election coming up in a couple of weeks. This won't be resolved until after that. Um, and really, it could go on for a while after that. But politicians are out there the next couple of weeks essentially begging for support. So this seems like the best time possible to confront them about this. What, what should folks do? This is one of those issues where you can't be too sure where your member of Congress or senator might be. I know a lot of our listeners are sitting there thinking to themselves, well, my you know, Republican member of Congress or senator is going to be on the right page on this because you know, he or she understands you know, how I make my living. Don't be so sure. The Land and Water Conservation Fund is a weird issue. Ask your member of Congress or senator where they stand on it. If they tell you they are in favor of permanent reauthorization of this program without changes, make sure they understand that that does not work for ranching, that does not work for Western landowners, and that they owe their voters more than that. They owe their voters a conversation about how to make this program work better. We love Senator Daines. He is a friend of this industry. He's a champion for this industry. But we do disagree with him on this issue. If you see him in Montana, let him know that we appreciate everything he does for this industry. But we, we really want him to tap the brake on this issue and think about its effect on landowners. Um, the same goes for other members across the West. And I'm not singling the senator out. He's just kind of been the standard bearer on this. So unfortunately, he, he gets, the, he gets the, the name call out. But this is an issue that you know we have a lot of our own friends and, and supporters in Congress, uh, you might argue, on the wrong side of. So um, it's something we need to keep pushing. And it's something our voters and our, our members need to remind their elected representatives is important. All right, Ethan Lane, thanks again for joining us. Thanks for having me. You've been listening to Beltway Beef. Until next week, eat beef. Check us out online at beefusa.org and follow us on Twitter at, at Beltway Beef. Thanks for listening.